This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Raj Agarwal, CFO and Executive Vice President of Western Union, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 501. We publish a internal report that's about 100 pages long that kind of benchmarks the company across a variety of different uh, dimensions, whether profitability, capital allocation, capital management, um, balance sheet management, uh, something I spend a lot of time with. Because um, again, that gives me a, a great view into what is going on in the industry and lets me understand where our weaknesses are. And then I can then take that information, um, work with my management team, my colleagues to really drill into what we need to do to kind of close the gap where we might not be best in class where we're lagging on a specific um, KPI. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Steve Gavin, CFO of Boston Private, specializing in wealth management and private banking. One might argue that too often, finance leaders expect the numbers to do the talking for them. But how finance leaders explain the numbers and put emphasis on metrics is something we enjoyed speaking with Steve Gavin about. Steve has found his past experience as a research analyst has come in handy as he seeks to raise the profile of certain metrics and educate the workforce as well as investors at Boston Private. We begin right after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. Boston Private Financial Holdings, a provider of private banking, wealth management, and trust services. Stephen, welcome. Uh, thank you, Jack. Good to have you with us, Stephen. As always, we begin by asking our guests to look back for us and tell us a little bit about themselves and those experiences they feel prepared them for a uh, finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you? Sure. Well, I, I have a uh, somewhat unconventional path to a CFO role. I started my career in consulting, a boutique firm in New York where we focused on uh, publicly traded companies, uh, working with their investor relations departments on messaging and help. 
work through capital planning strategies. We also worked with pre-IPO companies. Uh, from there, I transitioned into more of a traditional corporate finance role uh, at a firm called Investors Financial Services Corp., which was subsequently bought out by State Street. Uh, and then I worked in equity research for a period of time before coming back to corporate finance here at Boston Private and then kind of migrating um, from corporate finance, then running IR, being a divisional CFO, and then ultimately becoming a parent company CFO. So probably many of the guests you have on the program uh, probably come from more controller backgrounds or maybe rise from FP&A throughout their careers. So my background is a little different uh, as to how I got here. You mentioned uh, Susquehanna, I think. Can, can you share with us what was the nature of what you were up to there? Sure. At Susquehanna, I was on the U.S. Industrials Equity Research Team. Uh, and we had responsibility to cover machinery and building materials companies. So probably the, the, the one name that everyone will recognize is Caterpillar. So um, we were publishing analysts on Caterpillar, uh, Manitowoc, which is a large crane manufacturer, um, United Rentals, which is the, uh, the United States' largest rental company, and then a number of other of, uh, building materials companies uh, in the industrial space, such as Vulcan Materials, which is an aggregate producer. So it was a traditional kind of sell-side equity research position. Um, within Susquehanna, uh, it's an interesting place because it, it's very much a, a quantitative bent. Um, the core business there is really uh, more derivatives-focused. So we were trying to marry kind of your traditional cash equities business uh, with a more quantitative bent than you would typically see uh, on, in sell-side research. Well, as you described, you came up through the ranks of Boston Private, so you have an opportunity uh, to observe finance leaders uh, before you, I, I would imagine, and perhaps be mentored in some ways. We always like to say, you know, when you first entered that CFO office for the first time, what were your priorities? Now, in a way, since you came up through the ranks, I have to believe um, you're sort of grabbing the baton. Yeah, in many ways, it was uh, kind of a path to the torch, if you will. Uh, but there were certain things that I really wanted to concentrate uh, in putting on. Um, we were maybe a little behind in some of the uh, data and analytics uh, as a company, just looking at what uh, other peer institutions are doing. So I really wanted to focus on uh, how do we build that out, how do we incorporate that more into our kind of day-to-day -day management. Um, given my background as a research analyst and – um, you know, coming up through through corporate finance and on a traditional accounting background, um, we do a lot of competitive benchmarking analysis and research um, that you would typically see um, in an equity research department. We do it here in this group, uh, and I always find it useful as we're looking to improve the financial performance of the company. Um, you know, we rely heavily on, on a variety of peer benchmarking and analysis, scenario analysis, to try to help drive that. So, I think those are really two areas where, uh, you know, I tried to pivot the department a little bit, uh, really put my own stamp on it. What would you tell us about uh, your day-to-day -day and, the, and the metrics that are top of mind regularly for you? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in terms of day-to-day -day metrics, uh, hyper-focused on anything that's driving kind of core underlying organic growth. So in our business, um, that's deposit flip, that's mortgage originations, um, and that's assets under management, kind of net new assets um, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Uh, those are kind of the core underlying um, organic growth metrics, um, and that's something, uh, you know, more frequently we, we look at. Uh, longer horizons, you know, we publish a uh, 
management, uh, something I spend a lot of time with. Because, um, again, that gives me a, a great view into what is going on in the industry and lets me understand where our weaknesses are. And then I can then take that information, um, work with my management team, my colleagues, to really drill into what we need to do to kind of close the gap where we might not be best in class or we're lagging on a specific um, KPI. Now, we've had other uh, finance leaders on the show who earlier in their career uh, have been uh, research analysts. And type of experience I find interesting in, in, in the sense of research analysts can put the, the CFO on the spot. Uh, they, they ask tough questions. They're on the other end of the phone. Today, you're on the other end of that phone. As far as the communications, messaging, um, those calls that were part of your everyday world, I would think, as a research analyst, as you uh, would ask questions, tough questions, to CFOs. Am I right about that? Yeah, no, it, that's a helpful experience. I think being on the other side um, definitely helps you communicate better because you, I, I think you have a better uh, insight into how to answer questions. Um, you may have uh, a better feel for really what are they what are they really asking um, there, there's some open-ended questions that you get but there's there's a specific question they want to answer so understanding that I also think just understanding uh, the importance of being available and uh, being out with analyst investors frequently um, I think coming from that background having that background really drives that home uh, and I think we, that's something we take a lot of pride in and something I think we do we do well is that you know we're very accessible to our analysts and investors. Um, we're very forthright in our disclosures, um, and we're we're equal opportunity um, kind of meeting takers in the sense that whether you're a, a bear or a bull, um, we want to be out there talking to you um, because if if you don't have the story right, uh, that's on us to kind of guide the analyst and, and explain why maybe they have something not quite right. Um, I also think just coming from an analyst background, having that, the opportunity to have worked in research, um, to me the, the, the greatest attribute of, of people in the finance profession uh, is intellectual curiosity, and that probably applies to other professions. But at least in my world, the world I live in, the world I sit in, uh, I see intellectual curiosity as kind of the thing you want to have. Um, because if you're always always looking to learn, you're always asking the question, is there, is there a better way to do it? How do we become more efficient? How do we become more profitable? And constantly probing, I think it leads to good things. And I think um, that's a trait that, that a lot of research analysts have, and uh, I've tried to carry that into uh, the corporate role as well. But I guess what I'm saying is these are not always the same numbers, the numbers that motivate the workforce versus the, the, the numbers that are important to analysts. So as a CFO, you really have these these two world views, not just uh, the analyst point of view, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, the struggle or the challenge uh, that you have with the internal constituencies, it, that oftentimes they focus on the metrics that, that most directly impact them, right? Um, so if you're in commercial banking, you're probably most concerned with the metrics uh, that drive the commercial business. The same could be said for private banking or wealth management. And I think it's trying to get all the constituencies within the company uh, that are different to really rally around a handful of key metrics that are ultimately going to drive the performance of the company and that everyone influences. Um, so when we think about that, 
organic growth metrics, like I mentioned, deposit growth, mortgage, loan originations, uh, AUM net new assets. How are we working together across companies to make sure that we're making the full suite of those products available and that manifests itself really in those organic growth metrics. And then looking at kind of kind of broader return metrics such as return on common equity, which is really uh, in banking, return on common equity or return on tangible common equity are the two kind of return metrics that people are most focused on and things like efficiency ratio. But picking those metrics and focusing on those metrics where everybody kind of contributes to the, the success or failure um, in educating everybody as to why that's important. It's challenging, um, but as people kind of get it and they see what it means, um, it, it becomes very cohesive and people can rally around uh, those metrics and um, they just have a better understanding of, okay, these metrics drive performance, performance drives stock price performance, and it all kind of fits together nicely. Um, but it is, it is challenging to get people to come out of their uh, business lines or their division or their shared services employee um, where maybe those metrics aren't as relevant. Um, it's really critical to bring, bring everyone together around common metrics, common goals, um, to really drive the franchise forward. And I've got to believe there are certain – when you're, you're trying to educate those constituencies – that's what's top of mind, perhaps. And I'm trying to, uh, because I think a lot of finance leaders are challenged at times in helping a certain constituency. Maybe it's the sales team. Maybe it's another part of the org a customer support organization that is paying attention to the wrong number, and you're trying to get them uh, make a certain metrics more top of mind or educate them as to why it's important. Um, is it a Simply uh, you raising your voice about it? Is it simply you saying, let's talk about this first? Because too often it gets left to the end. What I think a lot of finance leaders are, are learning to be more effective at is communicating those numbers. And since you have this background, I thought it would be interesting to uh, hear how you might be doing things differently internally. Um, or if there's an anecdote that comes to mind, how you were able to change how one part of the organization looked at a particular metric? I would say where I've been most successful in kind of getting people aligned uh, with the greater corporate goals is when you're out in the field talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. So we're a relatively small company. We're 774 employees. Uh, we just actually got back from a West Coast trip where we were talking about strategy. Uh, and I had the opportunity to spend time uh, with employees typically wouldn't get to spend time with in person. And they were pretty forthright asking me, you know, challenging questions about the strategy and how I thought about it and concerns they had. Um, and I was able through those conversations to really get alignment by going into detail with those people as to why are we focusing on these metrics? Why are we focusing on these targets? Um, this is why uh, these metrics, these targets, this build up to what we're trying to achieve makes sense. So I think for me, I have found that I'm most successful kind of getting people aligned is the more one-on-one -on -one kind of in-person conversations that I can have, uh, the better off I am. And then when you have those conversations with people, they, they will then evangelize um, some of the things you're talking about. So I, I've, I've found, uh, and you know, fortunate that we're at a, at a relatively small company where that's possible. Uh, at larger organizations, I know it's, it's, it's more difficult to kind of be in the crowd as much, 
but I've found that uh, the best way for me to kind of connect, communicate, and get alignment is to just be out there in front of people uh, and, and just giving them a lot of time, letting them ask a lot of questions. Um, I'd like to think that we can put together pretty PowerPoints and presentations that people just get and understand and have aha moments. Um, and while I think my, my presentation skills are pretty good, uh, that just doesn't work that way. So uh, I've found that just being out in front of people one-on-one -on -one has really, really been what's, what's been most successful for me. So interesting. Each conversation is an opportunity sometimes. You might look at the world that way, I suppose. Um, I want to just touch on quickly uh, non-financial metrics. Is there one that you're paying closer attention to uh, than you were perhaps a year ago? Uh, and, you know, that is maybe it's the net promoter score. Maybe it's uh, a workforce number, attrition number or something. What Anything come to mind when I ask for a non-financial metric? Yeah, I mean, I think the two that come to mind, and you mentioned one of them, uh, net promoter. It's something we started looking at a couple years ago. Um, and, you know, we've been kind of measuring that pretty frequently and looking at that and making sure that, um, that that's improving and getting where it needs to be. I think the other thing that I pay attention to, at least internally, and this is less of an external metric, um, is employee engagement. Um, how do the employees feel about the organization? What are their concerns? Uh, what do they want to see us do differently? Um, as you can imagine, uh, it's a really competitive labor market. Um, you know, things in the markets we're in, things have been pretty good for, for a long time. Uh, things are still good. Um, so every day there's there's competition to keep your best talent. Uh, and it's something that I've become more aware of or more in tune to uh, when, when entering kind of a leadership role. It's something, quite frankly, before I was – uh, a divisional CFO and then CFO of the parent companies, something I didn't pay much attention to. It was a little naive in that, look, if you work hard, you do well, you'll you'll be fine. Um, and I was kind of blocked out some of the other noise that maybe came about. Uh, in a leadership position, though, uh, take it very seriously um, because the, the cost of replacing people is so high, the cost of training people is so high, um, and it's so, so difficult to, to get top talent and, and keep top talent. So uh, that's that's an internal metric that's not financial but has financial consequences um, that I pay close attention to. We always like to ask for a finance strategic moment, and I'm sure you've had plenty of these along the way, but uh, we're looking for that moment of strategic insight where uh, it influenced uh, how you looked at the world or uh, you had to respond to it, perhaps. Maybe it was a risk, an opportunity. Anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the biggest moment for me is um, when I was put into uh, a divisional CFO role in a, in a division that was struggling. Um, and we had to make some really challenging and difficult decisions on how we were going to restructure the business um, and, and right the ship. And uh, it just, we were struggling um, on, on how to do it, how to lay it out, how to sequence. Um, and then finally, it, it just came to me about, you know, where do we want to be and how quickly can we get there and um, kind of emphasize speed, but uh, full speed so you don't break glass on the way. Um, and I was relatively junior on the executive team. Um, so to step up and kind of see that moment 
and kind of drive that process was probably the first time that I realized, okay, uh, I can do this. This is going to work. Um, we're going to be successful uh, in doing this. Uh, a lot of doubt up until that point, but I think for me, um, that was really a, a coming of age moment, for lack of a better phrase. But uh, that's certainly something I think I look back to uh, when I think about kind of making a step up and transitioning into uh, more of an executive role uh, in my career. When we come back, we enter the mentoring round with CFO Steve Gavin after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Okay. step into the mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and inform future finance leaders. So what, what is it that's exciting you today about financing? Well, I think in the CFO role, what's exciting is you're kind of in the middle of everything, right? And you're working every day with uh, your colleagues to really create a strategy um, that's going to create value and then implement on that strategy as well. Um, it's one thing to kind of be in a strategy role and, and, and give something to a group of people and then say, now do it. Um, what excites me is being part of the creation of the strategy and also getting into the weeds, executing, uh, being part of initiatives that cut across different divisions, different groups. Uh, that's the most exciting thing about, about the CFO role. Step into the CFO office for the first time. What is it that you wish someone had told you? And again, this is as you take on all of that responsibility, that leadership responsibility. What is that piece of advice you wish someone may have shared with you? Be more comfortable delegating. Um, I think when you come up uh, through a fans organization or you come up through an analyst background like I did, or um, any type of corporate finance role, you're so used to just kind of being in the weeds on everything and doing a lot of things on your own or with your team. Um, and it's it's some it's a skill set that that I think uh, gets you to the CFO seat, right? Having the financial modeling skills, having the analytical skills, those are all things that um, get you to to become a CFO. I think the trouble is. Um, leaving some of that behind when you first come into the role. Because there's all other things, there's all these other things that you have to worry about in the executive suite. You can't be um, too much in the weeds on certain things. It's not the best use of your time. So you have to be comfortable delegating uh, and just trust people. Um, I think when you're, at least for me, being a new CFO, it's a daunting task, right? It's, it's a big role, it's a visible role. Um, as a public company, your scorecard is your stock price, so you're getting scored every day. Um, so there's a tendency to, to try 
one thing um, that I wish I had better perspective on when I when I came into the gym. You have a personal habit or a routine that you uh, you believe has contributed to your professional success. I'm a very um, routine person. Um, my days don't vary much in terms of when I go to sleep, when I get up, how I structure my day. Um, you know, silly things as such as like where I sit on my computer that's like the same seat literally every day. So it's just very, I have a very structured kind of mindset. Um, it helps me uh, kind of on the time management and, and just making sure that tasks are covered. Um, but yeah, very, I've been that way um, pretty much my whole life. So um, just kind of very structured, very routine, and, and don't like to get off the seat too much. And you said you take the same seat every day, or your community, is that correct? Correct. Is that a train, or do you know, I actually can buy a ferry to work, which is it's a nice way to go to work. <laughs> and the seat has to do with the sun, or the, uh... No, my guess is the first day when I moved down there and got the seat, I just kind of got comfortable with that seat every day. That's, that's um... Creature of habit. Creature of habit, yeah. <laughs> Well, this day, no matter what church I go into, I always sit in the same area of the church, uh, regardless of where it is. So. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for letting me ask one more there. Um, we're going to wrap up things. Uh, we ask you to look forward now and, and share with us uh, what are your priorities for the coming 12 months as a finance leader? What would you share? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a process of exciting time. We need management to um, we'll be rolling out a new strategy uh, shortly. Um, so it's really just kind of elevating the company uh, against the strategic imperative that we're put out. And um, for us, it's an exciting time. I think uh, for the first time in a long time, we're, we're, we're kind of transitioning to more of a growth mindset with uh, new people here. So there's a lot of exciting about rolling out the strategy as we think of that strategy. And, um, Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.